Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, worship team. Man, what a great time of worshiping through singing, through the word, through prayer. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all. I take it you didn't know we had a chili cook-off today, and some of you are regretting coming to the 930 service. You're like, oh, man. Uh, if that's you and you didn't know about the chili cook-off and you came to the 930, we want to invite you to come back. Uh, even if you weren't planning on coming, like there's going to be plenty. If not, we'll make a, uh, we'll make a burger run and we'll, we'll get plenty, but we want just to invite you to come back after this service. If you head home, uh, feel free to circle back around around 12, 12, 15, and join us for that chili cook-off after uh, this service. And if that didn't entice you to come, it's also a dessert cook-off. Now you're in, right? Now you're in. So hopefully we'll see you back for a great time of fellowship here together. Um, it's also Family Worship Sunday. And so you're going to see a lot of the kiddos with us in service. Welcome, kiddos. Glad you're with us. Uh, We see you. We're glad that you're uh, experiencing worship with your parents today, with us, with the whole church family. Um, That's really what it's for. It's not just to give volunteers a break, although I'm sure they appreciate that. Um, It's really to give the next generation opportunity uh, to worship with us, to see uh, what does it look like when mom and dad worship Jesus? What does it look like when mom and dad Um, sit under the teaching of his word and what does it look like when mom and dad uh, go into a time where God speaks and how do they respond to that and so that's really what family worship is about it's for you as a family and it's also a time for us as a family corporately collectively to be together Um, so we're going to be continuing our worship series this morning in Colossians 3 it's a beautiful passage I love this passage of scripture Uh, it includes so much Uh, It includes um, this call to put on. It includes a description of the sanctification process for those who are in Christ. It includes an invitation even for those who are not yet in Christ. Uh, It includes a call to singing, a call to prayer, a call to teaching and admonishing in God's word. And ultimately, what what I think we'll see today is this call to worship in all of life. That worship is not just a thing we schedule on Sundays or on Wednesdays. But worship can take place in all of life. And so one of the things that I want to say about worship, it it is somewhat of an abstract concept. And what I mean by that is that when we are worshiping uh, full on, we know that's worship. And then there are other times we know we're not worshiping. But oftentimes it's hard to find the edges. It's hard to know, right, when worship ends and when it begins. worship stop when we quit singing or does it linger on if the posture of my heart is still in the same place just because the prayer ends or the singing ends does does worship go on and then when did it start like did it happen when I walked in did it happen in the middle of a song did it happen in the middle of a prayer did it happen in the middle of the night last night when I woke up like where does worship begin and where does it end and so we're we're really allowing God's word to speak into that to help us know what worship is that we might more intentionally walk in worship together. And so today um, we're going to be in Colossians 3 and we're going to connect with this idea of thankfulness. Um, didn't plan it this way as a precursor to Thanksgiving. It just happened that way. Thanksgiving's a few weeks away. We tend to throw that word around a lot and maybe even we call our family to be thankful to take inventory on the last year Um, but we've been talking in this series on worship about this idea that our worship includes an element of gratitude but we haven't really stopped 
to like put the microscope on that and the role of gratitude in our worship, which is what we're going to attempt to do today. So I want to begin um, with Colossians 3 uh, in verse 12. If you have your Bibles and want to read along, we'll also have this on the screen. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We'll take a pause right there to to work through this. So the first thing that I see here is this, this call to put something on. And if we're reading the, the teachings of Paul, this is a metaphor he uses a lot to put off, does this in Ephesians, put off the old self, take it off, and put on the new self. And so one of the things we're going to be asking is, how do I do that? Like, what does that look like in real time in my life on Monday morning to put on this new self? And so the call here, literally this word uh, is it implies the idea of putting on or wearing. So it's just a clothing metaphor. That these attributes of Christ that are going to be described, that you would put them on and wear them. So whatever that means on Monday morning, you would put these things on. He's not talking about a moment, like I spend the first five minutes of my day in prayer, and then I just go out the door and do my thing. It's whatever you put on, wear it all day. Okay, that's the idea here. So put on and wear these things. Now, I love what happens next as Paul describes the people of God. Even in describing those who were already Christians, I hear an invitation for those who are not because he says, put these things on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul describes it this way. He says, even as he chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, this is where theologians, scholars will debate over the chosenness, this this piece where God chose me, but did I have a say in choosing him? And does the sovereign will of God override the will of man? And how does all that work? And, and here's what I would say. If we get caught up in that debate today, we'll miss what God's word is clearly seeing. And I think we'll miss the heart of what Paul's getting at. I think that's a, that's a debate worth having. It's a discussion worth discussing. How does that work? But clearly, God is a chooser. Like in the Greek language, that word, let me translate it for you. It means to choose. Okay? So God chose us before the foundation of the world. And here in Colossians, he reminds us as God's chosen ones. And here's how I'll translate that to us today is this. That regardless of where you land on that debate, if you will, the fact that you're here, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that God's chosen you to be here. And you may be here today and you're not even a Christian, but this is an invitation 
to stop and to realize that this isn't just a, a journey through life and maybe you'll choose God or maybe you won't, but the God who created the universe is a choosing God and he's choosing you. He's inviting you. He's calling you. He's drawing you. He's saying yes to you even before you say yes to him. And you're already loved. Right? So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. For God so loved the world. And you're in it. And so it's not just this dictator God who's just choosing and not choosing. It's a God who's choosing and loving you before you love him, before you choose him. This may be your day to choose God, but please know in advance, God is already leaning into you. He's already choosing you. He's already choosing to love you and invite you into this beloved relationship. Holy and beloved. We could spend all day on the word holy here. This is a beautiful description of the supernatural, powerful work God does in you when you turn to him. He is not saying, go get holy and then come back and see me. He's saying, no, turn to me. Hear my invitation. And as you turn to me, your faith in Jesus will make you holy. I will do that work in you. Don't think you've got to go get it right and then come back to me. Come to me as you are. I'm choosing you as you are. I'm loving you where you are. Come to me and I will make you holy. Chosen holy and beloved now he's going to describe here a description of what i would call the character of christ himself if you follow this kind of series of descriptions it's going to pattern itself in a very similar way to galatians where we get what we call the fruit of the spirit i think paul's got both things on his mind meaning this is the work of the holy spirit in you if you're in christ the holy spirit's doing this work in you Here's what he's doing in you. He's creating a compassionate heart in you. So put this on. I really like this word. Spent more time on this one word this week than any other word in this passage. You look this word up. It really kind of translates two ways. One is to relieve sorrow. And the other definition is to be present. (laughs) Just see those things as hand in glove. So to be compassionate towards somebody is to lean into their life and their situation to be present in a way that relieves sorrow. Like, that's powerful. God's saying, hey, put that on on Monday morning. Wear that all day long looking for somebody who may be in sorrow, and when you see them, here's what it means to be compassionate. Take a step towards them Make yourself present in their situation and help relieve their sorrow with your presence. Let's not misunderstand this. They're not yours to fix. You can't fix somebody who's going through sorrow, but you can be with them in their sorrow. That's this word compassionate. Be present and in doing so, relieve sorrow. The next description, the next word here is kindness means to be kind or benevolent. 
So you go throughout your day, you put this on, and you wear this character of Christ, this, this kind of radar looking for an opportunity to meet somebody in need benevolently, to be kind. It doesn't mean that you always are handing out money or you're jumping through hoops to try to, again, fix everybody. But when you see somebody in need, you would, again, step towards them with kindness. That's benevolent. To be generous with kindness in your day. The next word is humility. This is a a word that we talk about here in our church a lot. Um, What we mean by humility, what we don't mean is that you run yourself into the ground, so to speak. Self-deprecation, this idea that I'm just a worthless human being, so I'm going to stay down low and make sure everybody else is up high. What way we would describe humility is to be right-sized. Not too big, right? Arrogant, boastful, thinking more of yourself than you should, but also not too small. To be right-sized. To know your place in God's kingdom, how he's gifted you, how he's empowered you, how he's working in you. To be humble about that. We see this exemplified in the life of Jesus, but we also see it in guys like Paul. Paul was a humble guy. He was right-sized. He knew how to use his voice appropriately. Quick to admit that he was a chief of sinners, but also quick, quick to acknowledge the power of God in his life, rendering him as an apostle. So he was humble. We put on this humility. And we wear it all day long. The next word is meek, meekness. This is an idea of being gentle, but not because you're weak. It's the idea of having more, but throttling back intentionally. Okay, so this isn't the idea that you walk in just weakness and despair, but it's a sense of knowing your place, and this could be like being right-sized as well, but choosing to throttle back. It's not that you can't bow up, that you can't step forward, that you can't be more assertive. It's that you're choosing to throttle back and instead to be gentle as you interact with the people that you'll come in contact with that day. So we put this on and we wear gentleness. You can be a really strong, assertive person with a big personality and still be gentle by just simply throttling back. Patience. I know. Can we skip that one? Patience. This this really brings to mind the idea of endurance, and I think that's why there's an extra phrase added here, bearing with one another. Okay, patience isn't just like a, a switch you can flip. It's the idea of endurance. To be patient is to endure. And endurance is built over time. Right, so if you're a runner or an athlete, last year I ran my first half marathon. About this time, I was like neck deep in training for this half marathon, and when I started, I was good to make it two miles, but somehow I was gonna go compete in a race that was over 13 miles long. Well, I didn't just get there overnight. I built up endurance strategically over time. 
This is the idea of patience. Put on as much patience as you can on Monday morning and wear it throughout your day. And continue to bear with one another. This includes your spouse and your children, your coworkers, the barista at Starbucks that's just slow and stressed out and not getting to your order right or maybe missed your order altogether. All these opportunities to practice patience builds endurance. And he mentions forgiveness. And if you've ever really looked into like a biblical definition of forgiveness, uh, it has a different, different ways of being understood. One is to simply give grace. That's a gift that's not deserved. That's certainly true of forgiveness. As we receive forgiveness from God, it's a gift we don't deserve. It's a gift of grace. It's also the idea from a human perspective of handing somebody over. Now think about that. When you sin against me forgiveness is not pretending like you didn't do the thing and it's not sweeping it under the rug and going oh better luck next time you'll do better but it's the idea of saying actually I'm just going to hand you over to God you're not mine to judge so I'm giving you a gift of grace something you don't deserve but I'm also handing over this situation to God himself and we'll let you and him work that out and he, he doesn't have to be mean to you for me to feel like that was a good move. Right? So as I hand you over, and then I see God's kindness towards you, I don't get to go, never mind, I'll take that back. No, it's, it's handing it over and letting go. And saying, hey, this is not mine. I'm handing you over to God. And he says, above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we've been using different slides to try to illustrate the idea of worship. Like I said, it's an abstract concept, so it's hard to know sometimes when something is worship versus when something isn't. And when did worship start and then when does it end? So I want to use a, a slide here to kind of pull together some things we're talking about. So here's the, here's the reality. Um, this is a representation of every human being. You have need. Okay, you have need. This guy needs a neck. There you get it. And here's, here's what's really important. When we talk about need, I think it's so important to talk about the need you had or we had even before the fall. Because oftentimes we hear need and we think, Okay, when things get really, really hard, that's when I have need. And we don't recognize that you, we always have need. That we were actually created before the fall with needs that were being met. And so the primary need that God talks about before the fall is that it's not good for man to be alone. We were created with a need, a lot of needs. We needed to eat, we needed to sleep, we needed shelter. But the one God mentions is what? Our relationships. You were created with a need to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other image bearers. And what happens after the fall is both of those things get fractured, distorted, severed, and corrupted. So now I had need before the fall that was being met. 
Now, after the fall, which is where we all exist, right, those needs are not being met. And so you have a need right now to be in right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. And so when we talk about need, we start there. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. The good news of the gospel is that God sent his son to the earth to live righteously, to suffer, and to die, and to resurrect from the grave on the third day, that by placing our faith in him, all that was lost at the fall could be restored, redeemed, repaired. That includes a ruptured or fractured relationship with God because of my sin and rebellion, that through my faith in Jesus, this relationship is restored. And through that same gospel, my relationship with you can be restored. And so we are needy, and here's where worship happens. If you'll show the next slide, when we take our need to God, and these are the words we've been talking about. He meets us in our time of need. He stirs up this gratitude and this love, this affection for God that leads me to sacrifice and obedience. We're going to look at this next in, in the scripture, but just a quick reference that came to mind is Romans 12, verse 1, talks about worship. If you're familiar with this, this verse, it's the first sermon I ever preached ever in a church was on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's that word sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. But did you see where the verse started? I, I urge you to do this in view of what? God's mercy. With a sense of gratitude that he chose me, he invited me, he drew me into this relationship. Even when I didn't love him, he loved me. And with our hearts anchored in this gratitude for God's mercy and grace, we can live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and presentable to him. And this will be our spiritual act of worship. And so this, these characteristics being described, this isn't just a lifestyle that you're being called to and hopefully you'll get it right so God will let you into heaven. It's not the gospel. Paul isn't saying, as long as you can wake up every day and put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and love, as long as you can do that every day, God will let you in. What are you saying? He's saying, no, no, no. In view of God's mercy, you are chosen and holy and beloved. Because that's true, put these things on and wear them every day. And then look at what he says next. And let the peace of Christ rule, have control, let it reign in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body talking about the church. Oh, look at this. And be what? 
thankful. What you're going to see is this is going to show up three times in this passage. That whatever Paul's calling us to, he's anchoring it in gratitude. Be thankful. Have God's mercy in view as you put these things on. Remember, he called you. He came to you. He drew you. He loved you. So be thankful. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The next thing he mentions here is the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ, we've been talking about that. We spent a whole Sunday talking about the role of the word of God in worship. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I love this. He didn't just say, memorize it. Get all these words stuck up here between your ears, right? He didn't just say, become scholars. He said, no, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And not just dwell in you, but dwell in you richly, which is it's a description of both quantity and quality. So don't just have these things surface level memorized, but have the words of Christ dwelling deep within you. Let these things dwell in you richly. And then he tells us some ways to do that. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Here we go. Anchored in what? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. I love this description. So the idea here is not this, that we become scholars and we teach this word, but we also teach and admonish or the idea of don't just teach it, but also apply it. It's not going to do you any good to come in here on Sunday and let's teach this word of God if we have no idea how to apply it on Monday. Teach and admonish. Warn. Give application to God's word. And then we can also do what? We can sing. Well, what kind of songs should we sing? Psalms? Hymns? Spiritual songs. I think there's this connection here between the word of God and like singing the word of God in whatever genre of form it comes out. But again, not just so that we can become smarter and have more things memorized. We're to do this with what in our hearts? Thankfulness. Remember, we talked about the first week how worship is not just the posture of my heart, it's not just right thinking about God, and it's not just obedient actions. It's worship happens when all three of these things are integrated. It's not enough to just have affection towards God. It's not enough just to have right theology or to just run the motions. It's this posture of our hearts that aligns with right thinking about who God is that then manifests or comes out of our lives in obedient actions. But obedient actions separated from a heart for God is like saying the right words while your heart is somewhere else, is what God says. I want your words, but I want your hearts too. And so it's not enough just to teach the word of God and sing it. These things are anchored in thankfulness towards God. Thankfulness, again, for what? That we are chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
Next, verse 17, and this is where we're going to land today, really now is going to become a kind of an open-ended description of a lifestyle of worship. So if we will, because of the gospel and the thankfulness and gratitude we have because of the gospel, that we are chosen, holy, and beloved, if we will put these things on, we will wear them, then worship then can become anything I'm doing during the day. I can actually worship God while I'm standing at Starbucks waiting for the barista to make the order that they missed. If I engage in that moment in patience that's rooted in God's patience with me, that's rooted in my thankfulness for his mercy over my life, I can worship while I stand here and wait on coffee. Parents, you can worship in discipline and correction. You can do this at work with that coworker who you just wish would go away. You can do this in your marriage. You can do this when you're mowing the lawn. You get it, right? I'm just describing daily routines. Because look at what he says. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't limit worship to just teaching of the word and singing. That's a great way to do this when it's anchored in thankfulness. But whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I want to draw a couple connections here as we wrap up. Our sanctification, our putting on the attributes of Christ on a daily basis is rooted in gratitude. And our gratitude is rooted in what? The gospel. That he chose us. That he chose you. That he loved you before you loved him. And all that needs to happen to, to make you holy and righteous, he's already done the work, and he's, he has that as a free gift to give to you by your faith in Jesus. He forgives you. He renders you as righteous and holy. And your gratitude for that great cosmic gift that supernatural thing God does when he saves. That gratitude, if you'll stay rooted and anchored in that and then put on the character of Christ, you will be worshiping. So one of the things, and this is where we'll land, if you've ever been in a space, it could have been in here, let's just use in here, where maybe people around you are worshiping, and somebody on stage has called you to worship, but your heart just isn't there? I know, it's probably just me. And you find yourself just going through the motions? You're like, well, maybe if I start singing, my heart will get there. And then you, about 30 seconds later, you realize your mind has drifted back to work. And you're like, nope, that didn't work. Try it again. Maybe I need to stop singing, I need to pray. And you try that, and it doesn't work. Can I just offer up counsel from God's word to you in those moments? Stop singing. Maybe even don't start praying yet. 
just take some inventory on things you're thankful for. Take some inventory on the goodness of God. Let your heart begin to become thankful. You see what's happening? Now I'm being moved to worship. Now I've got something to express in my worship. And so thankfulness, I think it's a little overdone this time of year. We hear thankfulness and we think turkeys and pecan pies and pumpkin pies and orange and brown and, and it's all fine and well. But the spiritual value of thankfulness is like this is where our heart becomes postured for worship. If you're not thankful, you have lost sight of God's mercy and grace. And more than likely, you're just running the script. You're just running the plays. And God's like, hey, that's not worship. Yet, standing in a really hard situation in life, simply choosing to put on patience because your heart is grateful for God's kindness towards you can be one of the most beautiful acts of worship that you encounter this week. And you can do that through singing. You can do that through the word. You can simply do that by putting on meekness, by being gentle, being benevolent with kindness, being compassionate, being present with somebody in their sorrow when these things are anchored in gratitude. I'm gonna ask a few questions here for you and then we'll pray. Which of these characteristics of Christ best describe how your family experiences you? Compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving. If you're sitting there going, keep going, because uh, none of those. <laughs> my, my family wouldn't describe me with any of those words. Keep going. Short-tempered, easily frustrated, distracted, too busy. Like, here's the good news. Don't just go put on these things and try to muscle yourself through the day. Let's go back to gratitude. That's what we need to go to. Which of these characteristics of Christ least describes how your family would describe you or say they experience you? I'll read the list again, because all of them. <laughs> yeah. Here's the point. I don't want us to walk away from here thinking that the gospel is about legalism. Go put on all these things so God will like you. That's not the point. God already loves you. He's calling you to put these things on, and if you're struggling to put these things on, it begins with gratitude. So think about this week. Think about what was described here. What are some of the ways you can incorporate the word of Christ more consistently in your life or in your home through reading and singing and discussion the way it's described here? And then this last question, how can you emphasize thankfulness more consistently in your life and in your home? Maybe you need to put a reminder on the mirror, stop and be thankful. Maybe you need to have some time around the dinner table with your family before you pray. Before we pray, let's all go around. Take inventory. What are you thankful for today? And this is how we cultivate a lifestyle of worship, is in our gratitude. Let me pray for us now, and our, our prayer partners will be up at the front. Um, our elders and pastors will be around. Um, several of us will be out in the commons area. If you've got a question about the church or have another need, please come see us and talk to us. 
Um, our worship team is going to come back up and lead us in a time of singing. Um, here, here's the thing. You have freedom to not sing, okay? If your hearts, though, are full of gratitude and you stop to think about your thankfulness to God and you want to express that through singing, please sing with us. Worship with us in that way. If you need to have some time alone, you need to grab a prayer partner, you need to go out and use one of our prayer rooms, like we've, we've turned off the fasten seatbelt signs, okay? And this is where we now respond to what God has done and what God has spoken to us today. So let's pray together and our, our worship team will come back out. God, thank you, Father. Um, thank you, thank you. Before we get to the list of all the things that we're thankful for, God, we want to start with the gospel. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for making us holy and righteous through what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Father, thank you for loving us even when we didn't love you. And for those things and a million more, we are thankful. And so, Father, would you take the remainder of our time here together would you stir our affections for you? Would you stir our gratitude for you so that the words that we sing, the prayers that we pray, whatever we do in word or deed, we would do it as, a, as an act of worship. Father, may what we've learned together today carry with us to tomorrow that we could wake up on Monday morning. We could stop and inventory our gratitude and, and put on these things and wear them all day long. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.